power. Many ways it's displayed. One of the greatest natural displays of power took back to, back on May, on May the 18th, 1980. Mount St. Helens exploded there in the northeast in the Cascade Range there in Washington. And uh, it was probably one of the most visible indications of the power of nature in the modern world. In fact, the cloud from that, I remember several days later right here over Milwaukee, you could see it darkening some. There was so much put into the atmosphere by this tremendous explosion. Later we saw pictures, we heard accounts of people that were around there, and it was really breathtaking to hear of what had happened. Uh, I, I had a few years after that, I had the opportunity to fly right over that area, that's where our plane went, and as I was going to Portland, and you could see the mighty mountains in that Cascade Range, and then there was Mount St. Helens with half of it gone. Uh, and it's just uh, hard to imagine uh, that power. In just the last week, we have seen the power of a hurricane devastate a, por a portion of Florida. Uh, in fact, that's exactly where my father had a house. And I thought, uh, I don't know whether that house stood through that, but that entire neighborhood and area is gone. And so we do uh, often, very uh, often, just uh, are amazed at the power of God. But putting it into a more personal context, and as we're going to go through this doctrinal study of the omnipotence, the power of God, I want us to be thinking practically in how it applies to us. One said that we never really prove the power of God. We never show that we believe it until we start attempting to do the impossible. A believer can say in their doctrinal treatise that I believe in the omnipotence of God, uh, but that needs to be seen in the miraculous power of God in the life of a believer. That great Reformation hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, states, Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. <laughs> and so Christians are either very weak because we are weak or we are connected to the power source of the universe. There is a huge difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the power of the mighty Spirit of God. And so we're going to look at this important uh, matter here this morning. First of all, we're going to look at the very simple thought. He has all power. He has all power. I've quoted often from Thiessen. Uh, he states things well. By the omnipotence of God, we mean that He is able to do whatever He wills. But since His will is limited by His nature, that means God can do everything that is in harmony with His perfections. That's the most succinct definition I found, and I believe it's a good one to remember. Let me state it again. By the omnipotence of God, we mean that He is able to do whatever He wills. But since His will is limited by His nature, His perfect nature, that means that God can do everything that is in harmony 
with his perfections. So he is almighty. That word almighty is used starting there in the Old Testament. Uh, It's only used of God, and it occurs 56 times. Uh, You know, man tries to act that he is so powerful. I think of Pompey when he made the boast that with one stamp of his foot, he could rouse all Italy to arms and conquer anyone. Well, it seems like at that point he could, but uh, now he knows the omnipotence of God. Only God is almighty. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, uh, we read, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord, that's the word Jehovah or the idea I am, appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the almighty God. I have all power, almighty, all power. Walk before me and be thou perfect. So that was the way God identified himself to Abraham. And then you have uh, uh, almost five centuries, or five centuries later, you have Moses being spoken to by God out of the burning bush as he is going to now take his people, the the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob out of Egypt and take them to the promised land over the next 40 years. And when uh, he had that encounter, Moses did, with the fire, uh, that's where we get our theme from, Exodus 6.3, God is speaking, when uh, when, uh, he was commissioning Moses, and I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac, And unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by the name of Jehovah was I not known to them. And then he goes on to say, when Moses said, who do I say has sent me? He said, I am that I am, the everlasting personal God. And uh, that's, of course, the whole theme of our study here. You go to the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty, the all-powerful God. 2 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 1.8, there, the end of the Word of God. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. So, my friends, it's hard for us, again, with our limited minds to understand, but the clear revelation of God right from the beginning all the way through from Genesis to Revelation is that Jehovah God, God God is almighty. He has all power. Everything you see, everything that's part of this universe, everything that matters was made by, is controlled by God. And he is all-powerful. And I'm telling you, as I mentioned earlier, we get amazed at the display of physical power. I've seen several different things, and you all have too, or we see reports of them, and it's uh, awe-inspiring. But that's just nothing compared to the full power of Almighty God. But he that has all power can do whatever he wills. Job 42.2 I know 
that thou canst do everything, Job says, and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Thou canst do everything. Jeremiah 32, 17. I love this verse. Oh, Lord God. Behold, thou hast made the heaven and earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. There is nothing too hard for thee. And then you go to the time of Jesus, Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now, folks, that, that's, that's an amazing truth. Nothing is too hard for God. I don't know how many times I heard my grandmother repeat this from both in the Old and, and New Testament. Uh, and uh, it is it's a, such, a, such a blessing. Revelation 19.6, right there at the end of the Word of God. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. I'm telling you, when you get to heaven, the first thing you're going to realize is, what a miracle I'm here. <laughs> perfectly holy God and an all-powerful God. He has absolute power. Uh, it is seen, uh, exercised without the intervention of any secondary causes, creation, miracles, immediate revelation, uh, regeneration, all of this um, just directly by God. And then his ordinate power as he has made the creation things that uh, are powerful as they come through the operation of second causes and all, through his providence. But let's move on. Number two, he's not only all power, but he is perfect power. And this is very important. Now, again, I want you to hang with me here. I know this is a bit on a teaching slash theological uh, uh, scale here this morning, but it is important we get this embedded in our hearts and minds. The last part of the definition that we gave to you says, God can do everything that is in harmony with his perfections. So he will not do something that is contrary to his nature. And this uh, shows his great power in a different way. He cannot lie, for God is truth. Hebrews 6.18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge, refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. It is impossible for God to lie. Aren't you thankful for that? What you have in your lap there is the word of the living God that's absolutely truthful. He has no relationship to sin, so therefore he will not cause sin. Habakkuk 1.13, Thou art of pure eyes, and to behold evil, and canst not look on iniquity. Wherefore lookest thou upon them that deal treacherously, and holdest thy tongue, when the wicked devoureth a man that is more righteous than he. James 1.13, Let no man say... When he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And to show how God is absolutely just and deals with all sin, Jesus Christ, who bore our sin, had to die there on the cross. He will not go back on his word. 
Though he has all power, he will not deny his word. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe not, this is after we've come to know the Lord, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. The great promises of God's word regarding salvation are sure. A sailor in a shipwreck was thrown upon a rock where he clung in great danger until the tide went down. Later a friend asked him, he said, didn't you shake with fear when you were hanging on that, on that rock? Yes, but the rock didn't. <laughs> and my friends, those promises you're hanging on to, they don't shake. They don't change with time. Right now we're being told that um, culture is moving forward in a progression. And so what was wrong 50 years ago is no longer now because the human race is evolving. I don't think the word evolve is the right word for it. Would degenerate maybe be a better word for it? Uh, but that's what we're being told all the time. You've got to come up with the time, get, get uh, uh, on, on the edge of cultural development. Well, God's not that way. God uh, is absolutely immutable as we've already seen and he will not go back on his word. And this is important because people try to get you in a corner on this. God is not absurd or self-contradictory. Um, he isn't going to make a square circle. But God can do anything. He Listen, our God is not foolish, okay? And he isn't going to do things that are absurd. Um, and so uh, this is no limit of omnipotence. It shows the greatness of his wisdom and his omnipotence. All right, moving on now because it gets more practical for us. Number three, he has power over his power. Now he has all power. And uh, we see that he exercised it according to his nature, and now he has power over his power. Um, again, going back to Theson, the possession of omnipotence does not, however, imply the exercise of his power. Certainly not the exercise of all of his power. Just because it could be done doesn't mean he's going to do it. He has full wisdom, control, purpose, sovereign, uh, eternal uh, perspective. God is so powerful, he is in control of his power. <laughs> uh, and we appreciate people that are strong that are in control of their power, or people that have weapons that are in control of the power that they have. And you can get a little idea from that. So the power of self-limitation. Galileo used the sun as an example the sun, with all those planets revolving around it and dependent upon it, and of course if you study the sun, it's just an enormous amount of energy comes from it, can still ripen a bunch of grapes as if it had nothing else in the universe to do. <laughs> and it's just interesting how that just a little picture of God's power is purposeful. If he did not have power over his power, he would act of necessity and cease to be a free being. And God chooses what he will. So he is not forced into doing anything. God has limited himself to some extent, and here's this is very important now for us, uh, by the free will of his rational creatures. We are made in the image of God. 
And when you study this out, you'll realize one of the most amazing aspects of mankind being made in the image of God is that we have his personality. Yes, in a much uh, uh, corrupt, uh, more corrupted way because of our sin nature, but we have his personality and we have a free will. That is an amazing thing. That makes us in his image. Uh, image. That is why he did not keep sin out of the universe by a display of his power. He could have. That is also why he does not save anyone by force. And I tell you, folks, we need to understand that this matter of free will is very important. That means God has created us for a dynamic relationship with him based upon our will of choosing him by faith, believing his word, and then taking the time and priority to have a genuine relationship empowered by his spirit with him. That is why you add any philosophy of fatalism into an understanding of God or man, you have just wrecked the entire Word of God. That's why I'm, I'm so strong about that. That's man's logical thinking based upon someone knowing the past, present, and future. We talked about the eternality of God, uh, but we are not limited by what we think it must be like to be like God. We, are, we need to understand that what God says is true. Our God is so sovereign that He maintains His free will in allowing us to have a free will. He doesn't bully us into getting uh, into loving Him. I'm telling you, it wouldn't, you know, if a dad comes up to his child and says, if you don't hug me, I'm going to... I'm going to hit you. Well, there's really not a whole lot of affection shown there, is there? I mean, that's a ridiculous, terrible illustration. But I'm telling you, something real special. When that little child comes up and says, I love you, Daddy. And of course, now it's I love you, Papa. I love that, you know. That's good stuff. And, uh, and there should be no sense of force. With their free will out of their heart, they choose to come. Now, again, we're so finite. I don't want to limit God by our own human illustrations but you know, I just want to tell you, when you tell God you love him, that means something. When you show that you love him by bringing others to a place where they love him, that really means something. I don't understand it all. But our God is all power, but he limits that power because he has a free will to maintain the fact that we're made in his image and we have a free will. That's why everyone here is responsible to choose the Lord based upon what Christ did on the cross for your salvation. God won't force you to do it, and you can't earn it, the Bible says. You better read what the Word of God says. You have to come on the basis of your own will and depend upon Him. That's called faith. It's an individual choice. And uh, things aren't just going to happen in your life. God wants us to walk by faith. And if we do, we grow, we develop, God transforms us, and we develop an interactive, dynamic relationship with God. Spurgeon says it well. Listen closely to this. Man is perfectly free, and God violates not the human will. Yet he is as much able to rule perfectly free agents as he is to control the atoms of inert matter. It is omnipotence which compels yonder starry orbs to obey the laws which God has made and to travel in their appointed courses. 
But to my mind, it is even more marvelous omnipotence, which leaves men free agents and controls not their will, but yet sweetly triumphs over them. And uh, well said. Uh, God does work in our life. God convicts. God uh, draws us. But folks, we have a free will. And it's an amazing thing. That's a sovereign God, my friends. That's a powerful God. That is a God that can do anything because he's not necessarily, because something could be done, he doesn't have to do it. He chooses what is best. That's why all of these attributes need to come together. And the purpose of his self-limitation is that... uh, He wants to accomplish a purpose that will obviously glorify Him so that we can see His glory and to accomplish His created purpose. Could He have spared Jesus Christ from dying on the cross? He could have sent 10,000 angels. I wouldn't have even taken 10,000. It would have taken one. Uh, Jesus Himself could have been delivered off of the cross. All of the worlds could have been blown apart at the minute the Roman verdict was given. No, this was all planned. And Jesus willfully went to the cross. He was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. This was the purpose of God for our salvation. Folks, that's why salvation is so incredible. This is why we have a universe, because God so loved you, He wants you to spend eternity with Him. And not just spend eternity in heaven. He wants to have a relationship with you in heaven forever and ever. It's a glorious reality. And he didn't choose to save all people because he won't violate their will. That's why we have to come. And you get down to more specific things. For the sake of what he was doing in the early church, he allowed James the apostle to be martyred. He miraculously brought Peter the Apostle out of prison. He was doing something in that early church. And this is where we understand that all things do work together for good. So the whole idea is that God is all-powerful, but God uh, does have power over His power. Let me just say this. He has perfect righteous anger. We'll talk about that later. Aren't you glad he doesn't act like we do? You dads, when you throw a fit, you moms, when you do things, you teenagers, when you do things, you children, when you do things, those fits aren't very pretty, okay? Thankfully, you're little enough. God doesn't throw a fit, God's under perfect control. And I'm telling you, we need to be thankful. One thought of God for destruction, and that would be it. It is an amazing act of love and mercy that this world, with its awful, sinful, perverted lifestyle and its rebellion against God, is still here. It's God's mercy because of 2,000 years ago, Jesus dying on the cross. All right, number four, power and the believer. Power in the believer. Power is now available because of Christ. The greatest display of the power, of his power, 
was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, as Ryrie states, and that is true. You think of it. Jesus Christ, who bore the sins of the entire world, there on that cross, he died not only a physical death, but he, he, he died uh, millions and billions of spiritual deaths, and I can't even properly say that correctly, on that cross. And when he died, he satisfied the judgment of God. So when he arose, he broke sin, death, and hell for the entire human race. What a display of God's power. And that's available for us now because you were in Christ when he died, buried, and then he rose again. As Romans 6 says, you can live in newness of life. And uh, it's why it's so important for us to realize that we don't need to live weak, wimpy, (laughs) passive, uh, unproductive lives as believers. We are connected with the omnipotent God. 2 Corinthians 13, 4. For though he was crucified through weakness, yet he liveth by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. And then as was read earlier, Ephesians 1, 19. This just explodes with the word power. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? Uh, to us were to believe. There you have already a couple of the words for power. According to the working of his mighty power. Four different words for power in verse 19. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. So he is our representative. Jesus Christ is in a glorified body. He is fully God, the eternal, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God. But he is still manifest in humanity. He is the second Adam. And so he has all power and it's been given to him for us because he has been raised from the dead and is at the right hand of the Father in full authority. Therefore, we have that great power available to us if we will depend upon him. Now, that sort of expands your mind a little bit, doesn't it? Folks, how desperately God wants us to live out his resurrection power. That's why besetting sin is such a sad thing. That's why attitudes that can't be gotten out of the heart, that root of bitterness, is such a tragic thing. That's why getting all caught up in just typical world living instead of living for God is such a sad thing because of how that holds the Lord back. And on and on we could go. So this power is accessed by uh, faith, Romans 5, 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment. That word grace is too common to us. I'm telling you, you need to get it set in your mind. When you read grace, you think power. When you read grace, you think omnipotence. When you read grace, you think resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
That's what the word means. It's the free gift of divine enabling to uh, cause us to do what God wants us uh, to do rather than what we want to do. And it gives us power to do what we can't do without his power. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God's just ready to work. I've given this illustration uh, several times, but a pastor was uh, busy in his study when his little boy looked, was looking at a book of pictures by the fireside. He suddenly, uh, the pastor did, wanted a large book, and so he asked his little son, would you go upstairs and get that book for me? Told him where it was. Well, he was away a long time. All of a sudden, he heard sobbing, and he looked up the stairs, and there was the boy right at the top of the stairs, and that book was right at his feet, and he was crying bitterly. Uh, he was trying to lift and carry it, but it was just too heavy for him. Oh, Daddy, I can't carry it. It's too heavy for me. Well, in a moment, uh, the father was up the stairs, and uh, stooping down, he took the book and the boy, <laughs> and in his strong arms carried them both back to the room below. And that, the pastor said, uh, as he found himself thinking later, is how God deals with his children. Aren't you glad you have an omnipotent father? It's a lot of, you can't carry anything, folks. You wonder why you have anxiety. You wonder why you have a feeling of helplessness. You wonder why you feel lost at times. It's because you're trying to do life yourself and you can't do it. And here you have the one with all power who has had the great victory on the cross. He is ready to accomplish his word in your life. And we just stand around crying because we can't do it. And what I love about this little illustration is he not only solves the problem, he just picks us up. And haven't you had those moments? All of a sudden you realize, oh yeah, what am I doing? This is, God will enable me. And then that peace of God and just lifts your soul and you realize, I just need to be a little child again in my heart and trust the Lord. Oh, I tell you, when we just go our own way and not follow his will, how boggled down we get. So the desire of our heart should be Philippians 3.10. As Paul cried out that I may know him and the power of his resurrection there it is and the fellowship of his sufferings wanting to realize what it's going to be like living for him being made conformable unto his death and his power is also displayed by the spirit of god through the word of god which we have first thessalonians 1 5 for our gospel came not unto you in word only but also in power and in the holy ghost and in much assurance as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. A pastor had gotten saved just in a wonderful way through a Gideon Bible and some witness that he had, and God had changed his life. He called in the ministry, was trained. Um, but he gives this account, even after all of that, he was praying. He said, I want the power of God. I want the power of God. I want the power of God. And the Lord just made it real clear to him that uh, after all those prayers, with plans no larger than yours, you don't need my power. And that little illustration struck me. Oh, we'd like God's power for what? To make you feel good? God's promised to give peace and joy, but that's not the main purpose for his power. 
when you want to believe that an omnipotent God can do the impossible and you have a leadership from the Holy Spirit based upon the Word of God to do things that are clearly going to take Him and Him only, that's when you begin to see God's power. If we'll yield ourselves to His will, it's amazing what God will do. And it's so tragic when Christians can go years without seeing the miraculous deliverance of an almighty God. And I tell you, one of the greatest displays, and we quote this verse often, Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is, say it with me, the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And another good news for you, God's got a whole lot more power than Satan does. In fact, Satan's already a defeated foe. His head was crushed at the, at the cross. What a mistake he made for all eternity. Satan has no power, Evan says, over any of God's children saving as God permits him to have. When we're walking with God, God may allow things like happen July 3rd, but then God protected at the same time. Satan meant it for evil. God meant it for great good. And we can... Uh, the armor of God is uh, Ephesians 6, 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And, and uh, it's just a glorious thing. And folks, we need to learn in all of these categories to get to the throne of grace, the throne of power. And our in prayer can give the believer enough power from God to overcome the second most powerful force in the universe, and that's Satan. So, you know, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you will spend time in prayer and your heart be right with God, uh, you will have that kind of a, a victory all the time. Hudson Taylor said, The power of prayer has never been tried to its full capacity in any church. If we want to see mighty wonders of divine power and grace wrought in the place of, uh, in, in place of weakness, failure, and disappointment, let the whole church answer God's standing challenge. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Oh, we all know the story of the first great awakening, how Jonathan Edwards spent a night in prayer, had been fasting and praying for some period of time. And they say that when he walked into that church, it was as though he was peering into heaven. And within minutes, even though he was not giving great oratory, just giving truth, sinners in the hands of an angry God, people were staring into the very presence of God and falling on their face and hanging onto the pews for dear life, thinking they were going to sink into hell. Where does that come from? That's the presence of God, accessed by prayer. And so we need to understand that's wonderful, but power is always in accordance with the nature of God. There is no power given, folks, for selfish purposes. Uh, who's going to ascend into the hill of the Lord, Psalm uh, 24, 3, or shall stand in the holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Grace cannot be given if there is unholy living. And uh, follow peace with all men, Hebrews 12, 14 says, and holiness with, without which no man shall see the Lord. 
And uh, it's so important. A college was, all of a sudden, all the water went out and for the, the town that was there, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And uh, finally, they went up the way and looked at the water pipe, and as they took sections out, they found a tadpole had found its way into the uh, water system and liked it and grew up to be a frog. And a frog uh, fits nicely as a plug in the water pipe. And uh, so that frog had to be extricated uh, out of the water pipe and then the water returned. All the flow of God's power in our life by the Spirit of God. Folks, is plugged up by selfish uh, sin, unconfessed sin, unwillingness to get wrong attitudes out of our heart. And power is a great comfort and strength. Isaiah 46, 4, And even to your old age I am he, and even to hoar hairs will I carry you. I have made and I will bear. Even I will carry you and will deliver you. And then one more point here, power and the unbeliever. And let me just in conclusion say the unbeliever needs to tremble. Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. Oh, we are a proud world. Napoleon's faithful, uh, very uh, famous statement to a noble lady when he was heading into the Russian campaign showed his arrogant positiveness that so many people have. She tried to check him saying, sir, man proposes, but God disposes. Madam, I propose and dispose too. He haughtily replied, and of course, you know, disastrous retreat and lost everything. Remember, the demons even uh, tremble. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. And so every unbeliever needs to turn to God now. Oh, what a day it'll be, Revelation 6.15, and the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne and from the wrath of the land, for the great day of wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. My friends, if you're here today and you do not know for sure that you're on your way to heaven, this is not something to toy with. This is something that is absolutely critical. Jesus could come at any time. And my friends, God is all-powerful. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only through the mighty resurrection of the dead, based upon his substitutionary death on the cross, can a person be saved. There must be faith in him. And my friend, let me just say this as clearly as I can. You don't want to face God in eternity without having come to know Christ as Savior. That's all I can say. Jonathan Edwards is right. You don't want to fall into the hands of an angry God against sin because he loves you. At the funeral of uh, King Louis Fourteenth, the great church was packed. They were there with their final tribute. The room was dark save for one 
lone candle, and that was there to show the greatness of this monarch. At the appointed time, the court preacher stood to address the assembled there, all the great ones of France, and as he rose, he reached from the pulpit and snuffed out the candle, which had been put there to symbolize the greatness of the king. Then from the darkness came just four words, only God is great. And that's the sum of the matter. He's all-powerful. He fills the universe. He is all, he is omnipresent, and he's omniscient. Oh, believer and unbeliever alike, whatever God is working in our hearts, he's got the answer. But we need, we need to understand there's no other way but to trust him. Must bow for prayer.